Hello everyone, I am Mirta Hurtado Rivas. No VIPs or rock stars, just simple people sharing their life stories to trigger discussions around important topics or simply to inspire us to embrace challenges ourselves. Welcome to Leaderching. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Leaderching. My guest today is Trina Grecker Herzog. She's a senior partner at Bryn Arflot in Oslo, located in Norway, for those that don't know where Oslo is. Hi, Trina. How are you? Hi, Mirta. Hi. I'm good. Working from the home office, as I guess uh, everyone else is. Uh, a bit tired of that, but uh, looking forward to more normal days. So that was the, the short answer, but I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, that's good to hear. And I think uh, you're right. I think there is all of us are longing to a new normal that is closer to the old normal. And um, as you, I'm also working from home and quite tired of it, I must admit. So um, let's just directly dive into our conversation. My first question would be, when you were a child, what did you picture yourself doing as a profession? Well, I've, I've thought about that a bit because I've listened to a few of your uh, earlier episodes and uh, I, I have to admit, I don't think I was a very ambitious child. <laughs> I don't think I had particular dreams of becoming this or that. Probably, you know, the typical childhood dreams like, you know, being um, a hairdresser or, uh, you know, an uh, air hostess or, or things like that. But I was always a very social and talkative child, um, always raising my hand in class, you know, pick me, pick me, uh, participating <laughs> in the school plays, um, member of the student council. So, and I, I also really loved a good discussion uh, and in particular, the theoretical discussions or, or even hypothetical questions and discussions. So I guess I was always destined to end up with something that had to do with communication and discussion or or debating but there was there was a, a very defining moment uh in my it wasn't my childhood but it was um a few months into high school and uh, the student counselor summoned me to his office mm -hmm. and at the time i was struggling with maths that was that was you know my my difficult subject and he had picked up on that and he said he sat me down in a chair that was lower than his oh my god and I, and I was sitting on the opposite side of a huge desk and he said hi so I hear that you're struggling with math and I said yes well you know this is a very popular school and we have really long waiting lists how about if you do something else what about you know applying for the hairdresser school or something, oh you know, <laughs> less academic. Um, and I was really shocked. I, I, I didn't say much. I don't even remember what I responded, but I, I came home and, I, and we decided, you know, to do something about this. So I got a, a private tutor that helped me with, with math and I decided that I was going to prove him wrong. And uh, so I did. Uh, and I've, I've, I've come back to that moment a few times uh, during my career. 
And at, at some points I've been thinking, maybe I should give him a call, you know, hi, it's me, <laughs> remember me? Um, I did well. But but yeah, so that was that was a, a defining moment. I think I think pushback triggers me uh, when people try to put you down or say that you can't do something. I'm going to show them that I can. So at that point, I really I decided that uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to get an education and uh, and I'll prove him wrong. Thanks for sharing that because I think um, it sheds light on, on some of the still recurring issues today. It's not that those issues have disappeared. I have heard, I have heard actually here during the podcast from some people that also were kind of, you know, in some way bullied into believing that because of their social background or because of, you know, some kind of weakness or gaps that they have in their education up to a certain moment that what they were aspiring to do uh, was out of the reach because um, they should just opt for something easier, so to say, or more, you know, in accordance to what the person believed these people could do. So I think it's really super important to share with everyone that, um, you know, sometimes people will actually look down at you and think that you can't do something. In your case, it's very clear that, you know, it triggers the opposite. Um, but I'm also thoughtful about those that maybe don't have the self-confidence to just, you know, push back and say, I'm going to prove it. It's always good then to reach out to others and just, you know, get some help, right? Some support, friends, whoever it might be, you know, cousins, whatever, um, that can help you just uh, navigate those moments. Because as you said, they're defining in, in our kind of, you know, personal and um, professional development. So thanks for sharing that. So um, you said debating conversations, you know, on the human side of it. So today you're a lawyer. Um, can you tell us how you ended up in intellectual property? Well, during my, my studies at law school, I got a job. Um, I think it was my first or second year. I got a job as an assistant in a, a typical business law firm. And later during the studies, I was, uh, you know, uh, I was given the chance to work on cases um, on everything from tax law to criminal law and family law. And one of the partners um, worked with the, within IP and he took me in and he was he was such a great coach, super inspiring. And he allowed me in on, on all aspects of, of the cases, you know, from meeting the clients to carving out a strategy uh, and I was even allowed to go with them uh, to court cases so that really triggered my interest for for IP and and as I towards the end of my studies I wanted to find out where I could uh, dive deeper into IP so I did some research and I found out that Copenhagen had a really um, good IP uh, study so I went there for a year and uh, the professors were super inspiring. And it was, a, w was a, a very international environment, which I really loved. And so I think after, after Copenhagen, I decided that, you know, IP was going to be my, my way forward. Excellent. Um, so you have already actually built the bridge to the next topic and my next question. Um, I'm intrigued because you mentioned that the person actually that brought you into IP, 
you referred to him as coach rather than manager or boss. And I and I like that word because probably already connotates some of the skills that he had that you appreciated. And maybe you can share a little bit more about what makes you define him as a good coach, as you said, and also what attributes he had that make you feel inspired. Well, um, he was, as I said, he was coaching me. He wasn't um, applying the typical partner, associate or trainee uh, roles. Um, he was taking me in uh, more like an equal peer. Um, and he was interested in my views. Um, and rather than handing me, you know, the typical uh, trainee or associate tasks, like, you know, read this, find some uh, case law, you know, write a memo. He was taking, he was, he was um, taking me in. I was, I, I felt like I was equal, you know, he was interested in my views and, and uh, I felt like I was, we were partnering, um, which, which, which really made me um feel valued and, and seen and appreciated well you know that's kind of um, probably a key for for many of us right the, the i think one of the things that you said is like he was interested in my views and with that i think comes also the fact that the person is really ready to listen to someone else right to broaden actually get diverse opinions actually and hence has understood already uh, based on his experience that having different points of view makes it just better. It, it's not that, you know, one point of view may be worth more. So this kind of listening, appreciating, but as you said, um, feeling that there is, you know, that you are equal um, and also that there is a, some sort of partnership, even though um, he was your manager is probably one of the things that would like a lot. Now you mentioned, um, also that in Copenhagen, you had professors that inspired you. Yeah. What was inspiring about, uh, about them? And I hope that you also had female professors um, <laughs> in Copenhagen as well. You know, to be honest, I don't remember, but I, we pro there probably were female professors as well. Um, Denmark is known for being a very uh, liberal country, um, open-minded, um, so I, I assume there were uh, female professors as well, but I remember especially this one professor, he was, he was always, he was such a lively man. He was walking up and down, uh, smoking a cigarette. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was, you know, I found the law studies somewhat dry and theoretical, but, but but the, the professors within IP, they made the law alive in a way that I had, that hadn't experienced before. Uh, there were humor involved. There was, um, we were allowed to debate and discuss. Uh, and, uh, and it was just a very uh, live and, and vivid uh, environment. Great. So. I think what rings the bell to me is that you're describing once more an environment that was open and where actually your voice was heard and respected. And it goes Absolutely. a little bit back to what you said about your your first um, boss in the IP field. So I see a pattern there, Trina. Yeah. <laughs> 
but uh, I'm sure that you're not the only one who likes open environments and respectful, you know, uh, relationships. Now, um, let me ask you a question with respect to yourself. Um, how would you describe your own leadership style? Because I know that you have team members. I have even met some of those um, and all of them had, um, I could see in them where it all and respected you a lot. How do you achieve that? Well, I guess my, my philosophy in terms of leadership or coaching is, is colored by, uh, to a certain degree, by the, the first manager that I had in my first job after, um, after the law studies. He was a very dominant male. He was a typical, typical, I'd say, senior male uh, lawyer. I think his philosophy was management by fear. Oh God! <laughs> and and as as the time went, I was more. I found myself more afraid of doing mistakes than uh, you know doing a good job. And so one of my my you know key points, I think, has been to to make sure that people feel safe. As as a, that's a starting point. It's okay to do mistakes. Not only is it okay, I think it's it's required to become uh, the best possible version of yourself to do mistakes and to analyze what happened and, and why did I do that mistake or, or um, what can I learn from this and to analyze it from, from, different, from different angles. And uh, yeah, so, so first make, make sure that people feel safe and feel included and, 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 uh, and comfortable. And also, I think it's important not to try to put everyone into the same box. Because in the typical traditional law firms, you, if you're um, hired as an associate, you will do associate work. You will write memos. You will work like 13, 14 hours a day. Uh, you'll deliver that memo to a partner or a senior partner. And that partner will sign the memo and, and send it off to the client in their own name. <laughs> And those, those kind of things, that typical hierarchic system, I really don't, I, I don't believe in it at all. So make sure that people are included from the very start. As you know, I've taken associate with me to, um, to, to uh, different, uh, when I travel, you know, and meeting clients and, and colleagues around. People ask me, why do you take associates? No one, no one does that. And I said, why not? I mean, they're here to learn. So how, how else would you learn if you're not included in every aspect of, you know, the things that uh, you need to know to become a lawyer? Definitely. I think, um, I think that the, the first part of um, your response is, is really interesting because I think today we speak a lot about psychological safety, right? But it was, it's not a term that I heard when I was hired. Um, it was really a top down, right? And you just execute orders and just try to do things right. And, and I agree with you that sometimes when that type of management is really, you know, pushed too hard, then actually it triggers the opposite. It's like you, you know, you try to be as low profile as you can and not to attract too much attention because you think that that decreases the risk of doing something wrong. And maybe just let's go back to this, you know, doing a mistake is okay, because I know that uh, at least 
people I've spoken to and even my own team members always says, yes, yes, that's, that's nice that you say it, but you know, once it really happens, it's not that funny anymore. Um, what is your experience? How do you really, you know, try to convey that it is indeed okay to make a mistake, even though that mistake may end up with a client of yours? How do you convey that it's part of the growth process? Yeah, it's, it's just, first of all, um, you know, uh, if you make a mistake, acknowledge it. You know, oh, I went wrong here. Um, so I think it's it's important to to lead by example. So if I make a mistake, I, I, I tell people, hey, listen, here what I what happened to me today? I, I said this and that and, 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 and this happened. So I really I, I really blew it and and you know discuss it at the lunch table and you know um, at the coffee machine and and make sure it's not a taboo. It's just part of you know everyday life of being a lawyer. So if you do that, then you set the example so people feel safe coming to you with a, with you know with a problem or a mistake that they made and then help them solve it. You know, try try to sit down with them and and you know ask them questions of okay so this happened let's just acknowledge it how do we solve it what do we do what do we tell the client uh, but I think it's really important to start with with yourself and don't try to to be uh, just don't try to convey yourself as you know uh, a person without flaws um, yeah I think that um, what you're saying is, you know, um, that as managers, we should kind of role model our expectation, right? Because we cannot expect from our own team members to acknowledge mistakes and be fully accountable if we are not transparent enough to actually show that um, we actually do mistakes like everyone else. And that, you know, as you say, we blew it as well. Um, exactly. Many, many times and every week we do so. The question is just how you handle it and how you go from there. So mm -hmm. I think... That's very good advice for everyone. And I hope that those listening can, you know, for those that are not in such a relationship like your associates are with you, um, that they can strive to make uh, their managers understand that. The other point you mentioned was um, taking your associates with you, right, to learn. Um, I'm just going to pick on that because I think that one of the feedbacks that I got during this pandemic um, one of my latest associates, she told me, you know, the one thing really I miss the most is not so much, um, you know, the office and everything. And she just started with, you know, during the pandemic. So she started last year in July. She said, the one thing is that I'm not with you in the same room when we are not negotiating things. So I cannot, you know, really feel your vibe. I cannot see your cues, you, you, you know, because there's obviously a lot of cues going on also you know, with your gestures and everything, but don't come across over the screen as easily. And just uh, five minutes before, five minutes afterwards, when you close those deals, when you close negotiations or difficult discussions with clients, she said that's the way she was learning so much while we were together. And that's not to be said because I'm better than her. It's just that, you know, obviously I know the company longer, so I know how to deal with clients uh, in a different way because I know people, but also just because I think it's so important to be able to sometimes feel things and not only just, you know, stick to the legal part of things, but always find 
more a business result and a common result than something that is just, you know, this is the law and this is the risk and that's how it's going to go. Exactly, because, I mean, the job of being a lawyer uh, is not just about those, you know, 60 minutes in a meeting room uh, negotiating a deal. It's, it's also about the chit chat before the meeting, as you say, and as you say, the body language and, you know, um, all the other aspects which are, are, are human and not law. And also the, the chit chat after the meeting and where do we take it from here? And so that's why I think it's really, I think you learn more uh, by being included on those uh on you know the entire journey of a matter um rather than just sitting in, in an office and, and doing the typical associate work um yeah definitely so now um you won't escape the topic that i'm obviously um very much keen on and that's gender gender equality and diversity and you know i have only been unfortunately once to oslo and um i only know a very few Norwegians actually. So what can you tell me about the topic? Is that still is it still something that you believe in Norway needs to be worked on? Or is the idea that we southern countries have of the very diverse and rather equal um, North already a reality? Oh yeah, absolutely. We still have a long way to go. I mean, um according to um to global rankings norway and and many of the other nordic countries are doing really well in terms of of, of gender equality uh, but i mean it's this is not the time to pat yourself on the back and say you know we did it because we, we haven't done it we still have a long way to go it's i mean there are still a lot more men than women in leading positions both private sector and public sector men earn more than women um and, and just a thing like women's health um in norway and i think also in other countries there are not much research on women's health i mean of mm -hmm. course in terms of you know uh birth uh, and and reproductive organs and all that but in terms just taking the example of um heart problem the number one cause of death among women in norway is heart problem mm -hmm. but we never hear about the typical signs of a heart attack in women because those are different from the signs of a heart attack in men but we're not researching that and we're not uh we're not conveying uh to women what they should be looking out for and why is that i think it's because the people um who decide where to put the money in terms of research and development those are men and also i think <laughs> sorry no worries it's all fine I will cut that out. <laughs> yeah. It's allergy. Yeah. Hay fever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um where was I? I was yeah, so uh so in terms of, of women's health and men's health, there's a huge difference difference because um you know what? Let's just cut out the, the women's health thing. Um Yeah, maybe let me jump in where where you stopped. Yeah. Um and, and we can cut this out, but I think you have a point there that we can make. Um, 
Yeah, so thanks for sharing that, Trina. And just um, as as probably most of listeners know, I work for a pharmaceutical company, so I'm I'm well aware of the fact that um, for many many decades, actually, um, women were not included in clinical trials. So it was mostly a male population where the medicines were tested upon. So right. then, obviously, how do you make it work for women if um, the people who participate in the clinical trials were mainly male. And today we know that with the entire COVID situation, we learned also um, from from many sites actually, that not only is it that we might not be really diverse in types of gender, but on top of that, we are not diverse in type of ethnicity. So that also plays a role as to how to figure out. I think importantly also is, um, and you mentioned it, is the decision makers might be male, but also on the other hand, it's also because we'll still see um, a lack of girls going into scientific professions. So there is still this, you know, a little gap. And even when that gap is being closed somehow, we still see that there is still a difference in how high they go in their um, professional development. So it's interesting to hear from you that in the Nordic countries, it's also the case. But I also think that you just um, reminded us that it's not the time to pat ourselves on the back, but to continue to, you know, flag these things. There is no need to be aggressive about this, but it's just a question of being objective and saying where things are missing. So um, when you consider yourself, you know, a Norwegian and, and a woman, what is it that you try to do or what is it that you would recommend doing to those around you to continue to raise awareness about the topic? Well, it's, first of all, I think it's important to uh, remember and be thankful for our, um, for the, the, uh, the female, um, the feminine, oh, Okay, I'll have to start again. Mm, just have to think a bit. First of all, I think it's important not to take it for granted. I mean, this progression did not come by itself. People, the women before us have really struggled hard for this. Uh, the feminist waves, I mean, it, it, it has cost, um, cost people a lot. So first and foremost, be thankful and don't take it for granted. And also be sure to remember that this is not like a, a one-time job that needs to be done. It's an ongoing process uh, and, and it's an everyday uh, progress that needs to uh, continue. So never think that, you know, we did it. This is it. We're, we're good. You know, we're best in class. So always... Yeah, so keep that in mind. It's it's in and it's it's in the little things and it's in the small things. Um, so always always keep that in mind. I think it's um, important. Yeah, I like the idea of, of of being alert, right? Of of looking around you. What is happening? Do you see anything that, as you say, it might be a small thing, but still denotes that there is a kind of you know conscious difference being made between mm -hmm. the genders and even today probably it's not so much only about you know male female but the entire lgbtq plus movement as well Absolutely. what does it mean for them how yeah. do we react to that and are we really being inclusive 
So great, we're coming to the end of our conversation, Trina. And um, if you listened, as you said, to my former episodes, you know that now the question is, if you would go back to your 20s, what type of advice would you give yourself? First of all, I would love to go back to my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the advice I would give myself um, is very much the same advice I give my two teenage daughters, which is don't try so hard to become a version of yourself that you believe others are expecting. Um, Trust your instincts and trust your gut feeling. I mean, always listen to advice, of course, but whenever you're in doubt, you know, follow your gut feeling and and don't don't aspire to be something that you believe others others are expecting from you. Just be yourself. It's it's more than enough. I think that's incredible good advice because I think one of the things that we've come across a lot, um, especially in um, in young female um, employees is the fact that there is a lot of assumptions as to what they think is expected from them, from their managers or from their peers, or even from their partners in their relationship, what is expected of a woman in general. So, and I think it's not today, it's not even only women, it's, it's in general, make sure as a person that you don't kind of take your assumptions for actually real expectations. And as you said, and I would like to remind our listeners is that being yourself is always the best use of your own energy. Trying to modify your character and your actions to please others will always cost you more time and energy because that's not who you truly are. And hence you need to be checking on yourself constantly. And that's a very tiresome exercise if you need to to do it over, over a long time. So thanks so much for sharing that. I think it was a perfect ending to our discussion and we are right on time, half an hour for our listeners to spend and listen to us. Trini, thanks so much for being my first guest from the Nordics. It has been a pleasure as always to talk to you and I hope to see you very soon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, honored to be your first uh, Nordic guests. And also, I really look forward to seeing you in, in person. Let's hope we, uh, time will... Let's hope uh, life will turn back to more normal uh, times so we can meet in person again soon. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. I hope you liked this episode of Leadership in English. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up on your respective platform and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon.